Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Um, we are going to have a great revival with Brother Mackey. Praise God. Amen. And it's not this week, it's the following week, but here I want to go over the order with you so there's no confusion. The revival starts with a prayer meeting. That will be next Monday night at seven o'clock. Then we will have service on Wednesday. We will not have service Thursday, but we will have service on Friday, which is Good Friday, and then we'll be back for Easter. So we will have three services with Brother Mackey, but it starts with prayer, amen? So I just wanted to remind you of that. 1 Corinthians 14 and 33, God is not the author of confusion. Can I get an amen to that? So if you're confused, it's not God. If you're overwhelmed, it's not God. But he is of peace as in all the churches of the saints. James 3, 16 through 18, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion. Envying and strife brings confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then acceptable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in them that make Peace. Are there any peacemakers in the house tonight or today? Let me tell you the difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper is one that just keeps their mouth shut and goes along with the tide because they don't want to ruffle any feathers. That's a peacekeeper. But a peacemaker is somebody that initiates peace, that tries to bring a resolve to a situation so that we can walk in harmony with God and with one another. I hope I dwell in the midst of peacemakers today, amen? Amen. And for a few minutes, I'm gonna talk to you on this subject. Let's bring confusion to the enemy. Let's bring confusion to the enemy. God bless you, you may be seated. Confusion to the enemy. Psalm 73 reads this way. Truly, because this is a time in David's life. I'm going to first speak to people that are in confusion. And I'm not asking you for, to raise your hands. Okay? But there is confusion. And I want to address confusion. Because there was a time, many times in David's life, where he was confused. And this is one of those times. Psalm 73 and 1, truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as of our clean heart. But as for me, now he separates himself. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Does that bother anybody? The prosperity of the wicked, why they have so much, and sometimes you feel like 
you have so little? There are no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covers them as a garment. And their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. Oppression and they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. You ever hear anybody cursing? Well, if you really are God, then come and strike me dead. Have you come across any of these people? David did. Therefore, his people return hither, and waters of the full cup are wrung out unto them. And they say, how does God know? And is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, and they prosper in the world, and they increase in their riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocency. He said a lot of the things that we have thought. Why is it so? Why do they get away with it? How come things seem to go so well for people that don't serve you? Let me stop right here and let me share something with you. When you became a Christian, you finally had an enemy. You see, while you were walking in sin, you were Satan's buddy. He was glad to enjoy the good times with you. And even God loves the sinner. Can I get an amen to that? You didn't have an enemy. But when you became a Christian, now you've got an enemy. You have been lost to his kingdom and you are wrecking havoc in his life. I don't know if you've ever thought that, but do you know what? A real Christian who wakes up in the morning disturbs Satan greatly. Oh no, he's up again. And I know what he's gonna do. He's gonna start talking to Jesus. He's gonna start reading the word. He's gonna ask God for help. Oh no, I wish he'd have just stayed asleep. But after that devotional time goes away, when you get into the midst of the day and you have to work with people and interact with the world, you begin to think, hey, how come I'm chastised all the time? How come God always convicts me about things that I do wrong? They don't seem to have any trouble. They've got more money than I've got. They've got more things than I have. They speak against God, I speak for God. This doesn't seem fair. And that's the way David felt. And he even said in 13, and I'm reading it again, he said, I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've, I've washed my hands in innocency. All day long I'm plagued and I'm chastened every morning. You can't get away with anything. And even if the world doesn't catch you, God does. And you feel bad about it. Let me tell you something. If you feel bad about doing wrong, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. The Spirit of God is still convicting. The enemy is condemning. And you need to distinguish between the two. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. 
I will never forget my, my son has a, a, a real problem when he does wrong. We used to go to bed at night, just about get to sleep, and there'd be a knock on the door, and it'd be Michael. Dad, Mom, can I come in? Yeah, come on in. He'd come in and say, hey, I just got to tell you something. I did something wrong, and I feel bad about it. And I said, well, I'm not the Lord, you know, if you you need to talk to him about it first. He said, I know, but I just feel like I need to let you know that I did wrong. Folks, you should always be thankful when people come to you like that and are willing to confess they're wrong. It was conviction that brought them there. I hope you never get to the point where you can do wrong and not feel bad about it. Something's wrong. You're headed for, rep, for becoming a reprobate if that happens to you. He didn't get away with everything, anything. If I, verse 15, he said, if I speak thus, I would offend against the generation of your children. And when I thought to know this, all that he's talked about up to this point, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God and I understood their end. Surely they have been set on slippery places. You cast them down into utter destruction. How are they brought into desolation as a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when I awakeneth, so, O Lord, when thou awakenest, you will despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, I was as a beast before you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You have hold me up with your right hand. When you see what the end result of a life without God is, when you see what the end result of evil is, you will weep for them but it's confusing in the meantime, isn't it? It can be very confusing. Let me show you one of the first things that Jesus did to confuse the enemy. He talked about the Beatitudes. And I'm making a play on words when I say this. I know that the place that he spoke this was a mountain called Beatitudes, but I'm taking that and saying, these are the attitudes we ought to be. So let me read the be attitudes to you. They are very confusing to the enemy. Blessed are the the poor in spirit. Really? Who'd want to be poor in spirit? Here's the result. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. Really? They shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall of all manner speak of evil against you falsely for my sake. And rejoice. Are you kidding? None of these things are the things we want. But he says rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which are before you. Total confusion to the enemy and even total confusion to us. Because the things that we don't want are the things that God allows to show himself strong. And that confuses the enemy. My strength is made perfect in, are you kidding? Those are the opposites. The great king is gonna come and rule the earth and he goes to Calvary. Confusion to the enemy. He expected it to come on a white horse. He expected him to be born in a castle. He expected him to rule with a fist. And he did exactly the opposite. And it confused the enemy. And he had no idea what Jesus was doing. Totally lost. I'm here to tell you today that we too can confuse our enemies. And we should, because we should do exactly the opposite of what the world does. Exactly the opposite. Let me give you another example. Jesus is, the Romans would come to a man and say, hey, I want you to carry my backpack. And the law says you have to carry it a mile. And Jesus comes along and they're, they're complaining about the Romans. And they said, Jesus, these guys tell us we gotta carry their stuff for a mile. He said, oh, carry it too. He said, they, they want us to give, a, give up our coat. He said, well, give them your sweater too. What is he doing? He's teaching us how to confuse the enemy, to go beyond what is required and to do it with a thankful heart. That's confusing. It's probably even agitating to the enemy. But it's what he asked us to do and it's how we can be victorious. Take a look at Matthew chapter five, verse 43. You have heard that it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies and bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you and pray for those which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you will be called the children of your Father which is in heaven for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Do exactly the opposite of what they do to you. Confused, aren't you? But that's what works. That's what works. There's gonna be a test on this today and probably tomorrow for sure, so. <clears throat> Jesus was the expert at not just preaching, but practicing what he preached. I just got done reading to you about forgiveness and mercy and praying for people. And here he is on a cross, literally bleeding out and dying 
for people that have lied about him, beat him, betrayed him, forsaken him. And one of the last things he said is forgive them. That's confusing. I mean, in my flesh, and probably yours, you would have called the 10,000 angels. That is enough. Not him. Not him, because he practices what he preaches. I want you to know the world is watching us. We think we're watching the world. No, 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 no. They're watching you. They're watching you at work when you get a bad deal. They're watching when somebody else gets a promotion that you thought you should have. Are you hearing me today? They're watching when somebody gets sick in your family and is diagnosed with cancer. Do you fall apart? Do you curse God and die? Do you blame it on on God? Do you talk bad about the doctors? How do you handle that? You know, one of the really, I'm not real good at going to hospitals. I don't like hospital visits. I don't like seeing people sick. I don't like seeing people in pain. It's difficult for me. I like it when it's on me even less, you know, but, but I don't like going there. And I've, I've seen a good number of people die. In some cases, I've literally been there when they've passed. And let me tell you an observation I've made. People that are without God, I've heard screaming, I've heard cursing, I've seen convulsions. And yet I've seen saints die with a smile on their face and a praise on their lips. Just the exact opposite. And it confuses the enemy. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death. Are you kidding? How can death be precious? But to God it is. And it confuses, it confuses the enemy. I'm saying let's bring confusion to the enemy. Let me give you some examples as to how. Satan understands meanness, but he doesn't understand kindness. He understands hatred, but he doesn't understand love. He understands rebellion, but he does not understand obedience. He understands pride, but he doesn't understand humility. He understands selfishness, but he can't understand generosity. He understands impatience, but he can't understand faithfulness. So let us be kind. Let us love. Let us be obedient. Let us be humble. Let us be generous. Let us be faithful and confuse our enemy. Confuse our enemy. 
He can't understand how people can come to a place of worship and lift their hands and sing out loud or clap their hands. He can't understand that. And he doesn't like it unless it would be given to him. But when you're going through a trial, he knows it. And he sees you there with your hands lifted up and tears coming out of your eyes and a smile on your face at the same time. He can't understand it. And it drives him crazy. And I'm so happy and pleased to do it. Happy and pleased to do it. God has always been out to confuse his enemies. Let me share just a couple quick thoughts with you. First Corinthians chapter one and verse number 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You think you're so smart. You don't understand anything about life. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Don't call me a a fool. I've got degrees from school. I'm smart. You're not smart enough to seek the Lord while he may be found. You're not smart enough to go to God when your marriage is on the rocks. You're not smart enough to call out to God and say, God, help me. Help me to become a good steward. Help me to trust you. Help me not to lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge you. These things bring confusion to the enemy. And at the same time, and here's my key point, at the same time that we're confusing the enemy, we are glorifying God. We are glorifying God. How many times have we testified? Yeah, I was having this financial difficulty. I wasn't able to pay my bills and, you know, the payment was due. And at the last minute, God came through. God provided. Now, we're so happy when when the last moment is past us and the provision has been there. But when we're going through the trial, that's the time to confuse the enemy. God spoke to Joshua. He said, when you go through this river and you get on the other side, I want you to put 12 stones on the other side of that river. When your children come back and they say, what are these stones here for? Well, you, you, you can tell them that it's a stone for each tribe and, and God opened up this river so that you could cross over and go into the promised land. And Joshua said, all right, that's what you want, God. That's what we'll do. And, and he said, but, but there's one other thing, Joshua said, where the priest stood with the ark. I want 12 stones there too. That was Joshua's idea. God didn't ask for that. And I'm going to tell you why he did that. Because we need to have stones and memorials in the middle of our trials 
and nobody's going to see it when the water covers it up. That's what the argument could have been made. Why are you putting those stones in the middle of the river? When the water comes back, it's just going to be over the top. Nobody's ever going to see them. But I'm going to remember that God kept me in the middle of my trial. I've seen people that have never been healed. I may get in trouble for saying it this way, and maybe I'm not theologically correct, but not everybody that ever gets prayed for gets healed. But if you don't get healed, will you still serve God? Will you still put a smile on your face and say, his grace is sufficient for me. The Lord has supplied what I needed, even if it wasn't what I wanted. Did you hear that? The Lord has supplied what I've needed, even if he didn't supply what I wanted. The first battle for Israel in the promised land Jericho. Well, Joshua, how are we going to conquer this city? Well, I got to talk to God about that. And what did God tell you? He said, well, we're just going to walk around it a few times and then we'll shout at the end and that's the plan. That's not a good plan, Joshua. They're going to hurl insults at us. They're going to dump stuff over the wall while we walk by. They're going to point their finger and laugh at us. But God was bringing confusion to the enemy. And all they had to do was just obey. You know what? I could talk all morning and give you illustration after illustration as to how God has done things like with Gideon. 32,000 men against a million and God says you got too many. God, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I don't think you know math very well. Oh, sure I do. Tell them if they're afraid, they can go home. Well, there might be a few cowards in every crowd. 22 went home. 22,000 out of 32 go home. God, Gideon's saying, oh God, this is getting worse as it goes along. He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Take them down to the water. We're gonna give a little water test down here. Anybody face the water test? So he gives them the water test. You're in enemy territory. Tell them they can have a drink. Some of them lap water with a dog, hold onto their weapon with the other, and they're watching for the enemy. He says, take those and send the rest home. The ones that weren't looking were 9,700. He kept only 300. Now we're going to fight them tomorrow. How are we going to do that? Well, we got some pitchers and We've got some torches we can light up and some trumpets. We're going to worship and light things up and break pictures. How's that for a plan? Confusion reigned on the Midianites and they started killing one another. 
They didn't even have to raise a, they didn't have a sword. We're going to meet our enemy tomorrow. Hezekiah, what are we going to do then? Well, this is what God said to do. He said, you get all the musicians and you get all the praise singers and you put them out front and we're going to have us a worship service. That's it. That's it. And it worked. And it caused great confusion to the enemy. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? I don't know why we have to go through trials and tribulation. Struggle makes us stronger. It teaches us to lean on God. I I wish it could be easier at times. But the world is watching. And if you serve God and you love God, in the midst of your trial and tribulation, you'll confuse your enemies, but you'll also give them hope because the trials are gonna come to them too. Sooner or later, death comes to all men and they see the way you handle life and it may be their salvation. Let's stand together. Job 1 and 12 says, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that Job has is in your power. Only on himself put not your hand. And Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. We know that Job suffered greatly. He lost his wealth. He lost almost all of his family. And eventually even his health suffered. But I want to read this verse of scripture to you and I I hope you'll never forget it. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and he will not suffer you be tempted above that you're able but with that temptation he will make a way to escape so that you can bear it listen to the confusion that Job brought Job 1 and 21 After all this happens to him, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked I'll return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be, blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, God sets the boundaries even in our temptations. And he tells the enemy, you can go no farther than this point. I know what that person can handle, so I set the boundaries for you, Satan. You can go that far, but you can go no further. And in all this, Job said not, 
Neither did he ever charge God foolishly. And finally, he said this, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You may not always be able to trust man, but you can always trust him. Jesus, I feel the burden of some in this congregation today that are confused by the prosperity of the wicked and the way that the world goes about their business. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.